I, uh, um, I don't get to go to church very often. So it's just so cool to be able to go to church. I enjoyed your back row. Why, why anyone was sitting anywhere else besides the back row in church, I have no idea. As pastors, we always want you to sit in the front row, you know, because what happens in the back row, you must be hiding something back there. The Dickersons, you know they're hiding something back there, you know, in the back. But it's just, just so good to be able to come to church. I, my favorite, don't tell my guys, my favorite worship leaders in the whole world got to lead me in worship today. And that's the way I felt the whole time, just like that. Um, awesome stuff. So just really good. My, my wife sends her greetings. She can't be here today. Dina wanted to come, but she, she has, somebody has to run the Freedom Center in my absence and, uh, and in my presence. And she, she does both. Um, I want to, again, just say thank you to the worship team just because it's, it's just such a joy, you know, to be a part of this. I remember back in the day when you were just a piano player. I can just play piano. It's like, no, you know. I think Adam, didn't he say, like, well, why don't you try to do something? And then, and then you married her, and the two shall be made, like, kaboom, <laughs> you know. And J.D. just, I, when did you start playing a violin? <laughs> Half hour ago. <laughs> it's got four strings. It's not like it's a complicated instrument, you know. A little horse hair and some noise, you're all set, you know. So, and I, I just, I wanted to tell you something to just, Teresa, where are you? Do you probably front row? Okay, good. I said, right the front row in the last seat I looked at. I, I, you make me cry, so I'm not going to go too far into this, but some of the dearest friends God's ever given me in my life, you know, are the Brady's. And I, I, not long ago, just uh, six, seven weeks ago, was going through something. I just couldn't resolve, couldn't figure it out. I told Jonathan this the other day. I, I see we were having dinner, and I said, you know, I, I walked into the woods, and I resigned. I quit the ministry. I quit the Freedom Center. I just said, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I know I can't do this anymore. But I called Pat Brady, my friend, and I said, Pat, I don't know what to do. I just need help. What is it about Pat Brady standing where he stands, and I'm crying already? What is that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and I... Let me stand on here. Maybe it'll work better. <coughs> but I, I said, you got some time to hang out? I was like, yeah, I'd love to hang out. He didn't know I was just getting ready to just bomb him. And we sat in the back room in the house over there. And, and uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but your pastor is my pastor. When I need a pastor, it's, it's Pat and Teresa Brady. That's when my wife and I need pastors. We've called you in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day or said, we just need help. No one will ever know. And you can't understand the burden that, that is placed on you and God commissions you to love people in, in ministry. Um, and I, and I, it's kind of like sometimes people sit back and say, well, you know, it looks easy enough. You just work one day a week and you crack a few jokes and you cry and you get everybody's pockets empty. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's kind of like watching someone who's an excellent parent saying, well, I could have 10 kids. What's the big deal? I, I dare you to get a few of your own before you say that. And uh, am I right, Ben? Am I right that there's a grace? I remember watching you. We were out in the parking lot trying to have a conversation, and the kids were doing like some sort of bike-a-thon thing. Remember that a few years back? And it, and it was funny because I'm trying to have a conversation, and Ben can have four conversations at the same time. And I'm like, so we're talking. He's like, yeah. Hey, way to go, buddy. Go ahead. Hey, sweetie, you look great. Go ahead. And I was like, never mind. Let's just stand here and enjoy your kids, the parade, the Green Family Parade. And uh, oh, amazing stuff. So you guys are blessed. It's so good to come to church today. I needed this. And uh, thank you for sharing your pastor with me and other pastors and your pastor's wife with my wife and others' pastor's wives. Today, I just want to um, 
share with you something I think is pretty simple. Um, it took me three weeks to teach this at the Freedom Center. How many of you guys have been in the faith for more than five years? You've been a believer for more than five years. Okay. I, it took me three weeks to teach this at the Freedom Center because when I asked that question at the Freedom Center, they're like, what's, what's the word believer mean? I don't, you know, I'll just raise my hand because it seems to make you happier when I raise my hand than when I don't, you know. But, but here I'm going to get three weeks of teaching in one week because I think I can start. We're going to talk about living from the promises of God and really just talking about faith and the purpose of faith. Matthew chapter 4, you got your Bibles open there. And Deuteronomy chapter 8, put your finger in there. Matthew 4, 4, Deuteronomy 8, 3. It's the same scripture. It's Jesus debating with the devil. And he says, Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3 is what Jesus is actually quoting to the devil. And, uh, and it's this, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word, or to every word, to every word, which is the King James Version of that. They put, it's every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, those scriptures may look really similar. They actually look almost identical. They're, they're not in this one respect. The Hebrew in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the word, word, is there. And every word that comes from the mouth of God, the word, word there is a, it's a, a noun. It's a person, place, or thing. It's an existent, substantial, concrete, bedrock thing. But what Jesus uses in, in Greek, as it's translated from, from his language here, Matthew chapter 4, every word, it's actually a verb. It's an action thing. In other words, what I believe Jesus is saying is this. He's debating with the devil. The devil's tempting him. He's defeating him by using the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. And he, and he says this. He quotes Moses, kind of. Moses' word was an established word. It's a thing. It's done. It's closed. It's finished. Jesus' word is the word rhema. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by rhema, that which proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a verb. If we were to take it and say that they're both water, they're both the word, well, Moses' word would have been a lake. Jesus' word would have been a river. It's moving. It has motion. And when we go from that, not only did, did the law come through Moses and grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, but now he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There, there's a law that is spoken and complete. There's, there's the rhema word of Jesus that's spoken and continues to speak. It's the foundation on which we build our house. But we've also got the Spirit of God speaking to us now, promises, um, blessings, convictions, incredible stuff. And so when we try to sometimes tune our, our ears into what is God saying to me, so often we're tuned into what God has said. That's legitimate. That's proper. There's nothing wrong with it. But understand this, what God has said, what Jesus has said is the foundation that is built beneath what God is saying by his Spirit. Does this make sense? So we're not saying the law, well, it's just the law. No, it's the law of God. It's good. The problem is not the law. The problem is we can't obey it. So God sent his son. His son came and he said, not, you've heard that it was written thus and so, but I say that much higher. People would say, well, Jesus came to make it easier. I I don't see that in scripture. I, I, I see that he made it utterly impossible even for a hypocrite to deny or to try to make it look like he's living it so that we would need desperately a savior who could rescue us from us. But when the Spirit of God speaks, he's speaking to regenerated people. He's talking about dreams, goals. Ephesians 2.10 is one of my favorite verses. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God's prepared in advance for you to do. You are totally set up. You are totally the person at the time in the place with the stuff. Because God said, I don't set people up for failure. I set them up for victory. So this rhema word that God has given us... The Spirit convicts, he blesses, he sends, he empowers, and he promises. And, and he speaks to us our dreams and our destinies. Um, man shall not live. Now, get, get the context. Man shall not live just by what Moses said. If you are living by what just Moses said, you cannot live. Man cannot live by bread alone. And if you live just by what Jesus said, and I'm, again, I'm not, 
You guys get where I'm coming from, right? I'm not saying, ah, Moses, ah, Jesus. No, no. This is bedrock. If what you think the Spirit is saying to you doesn't line up with what Jesus and Moses said, it's wrong. The, the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. The Spirit of God and the Word of God are, are synonyms, if you will. So when we have this understanding, we understand that God's going to command us into our destiny built upon the foundation of what Moses and Jesus has said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the promises, by the words, by what is being spoken, not just what has been spoken. Um, You're created, according to the Scripture, to live from promises. Your life, your marriage, your singleness, your pain, your destiny, your history, all are connected to the promises of God. It takes more than bread for man to live. Bread gives strength to our bodies, but the promises of the Lord give us strength in our soul and our spirit. Like, I don't know who I am unless he tells me who I am. I don't know what I have unless he tells me what I have. I don't have what I think I have unless he tells me that I have it. The Logos promises are the rock, if you will, but what the Spirit is saying is now the building that gets put on top of that. Does that make sense? You guys still here? Am I doing all right? So God's going to often give you promises, and, and that's all Scripture, that's all doctrine. Now let me talk about something a little bit practical in the sense of, of applying this. What I'm about to say to you is the King Jim version of life. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting to you that this is bedrock and I can prove it. This is an observation. Is it okay if I do some observational theology and you weigh it? And this isn't like if you don't do it this way, if you don't use my words, you're in sin. That's not what this is. This is just me looking back after about 30 years of following Jesus, 25 years in ministry, and saying, I think I see a pattern I think I see something that's consistent enough to mention to you that you might begin to look for the things that I've seen. Um, Promises seem to come as a process. Um, It begins with this. Most of the promises God has made me begin with something I've called, uh, I perceive. I perceive this. Um, Perception. Something, a need, a cause, an opportunity. This existed for any period of time, a moment, a thousand years, doesn't matter. Comes to your attention and it leaves an impression that just kind of lingers. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I never saw that before, and now I can't kind of stop seeing it. You ever, you ever buy a Volkswagen Beetle, and suddenly, like every other car is a Volkswagen Beetle? I never noticed real estate signs until I was looking for a house. Now I see real estate signs everywhere I go. I never noticed, you know, portly, balding men in their upper 40s until I became a portly, balding man in his upper 40s, and now it just seems to be so consistent everywhere I go, you know? <clears throat> Not in this room, of course, but others in which I, I walk. Um, something that never bothered you before, but suddenly does. Something that never interested you before, but suddenly does. Something that never caught your eye before, but suddenly does. And it, it's kind of hard to shake. And this would be like David walking down just to, on an errand for his daddy, delivering some food. The next thing he knows, he hears this voice of a giant, and he just, it just changed him. There's just, there was a connection. Now, isn't the first time you ever heard a bully speak? It's not the first time he ever heard the sounds of war. It's not the first time he ever went on an errand for his daddy. This, this man's been anointed by God. He hasn't done much, if you will. Killed a few animals, which are, that's tough enough for me. That's, you know, do with your bare hands. That's a good day's work, right? I'm scared to kill bears with a gun, let alone with my bare hands. I look at my sportsman friend over here, you know. I don't want to kill it with a bow. I've seen too many, you know, movies or little, like, iPod videos where the bear's climbing up the tree and the guy's on the stand going, shoe bear, shoe. It's like, shoe bear, nothing. You're climbing up. I'm climbing higher. Shoe bear. It's like, shoot bear, not shoe Shoot the bear, man. But uh, he, he hears the glass voice, and there it goes. Nehemiah's talking to his friend Shimon, and he says, you know, tell me the condition of Jerusalem. He goes, oh, it's, the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed. The gates have been burned with fire, and the people there are in great disgrace. Now, Shammah goes on his way. Nehemiah finds his way in that one encounter. 
What's the difference? Shammai had all the information, but something about that information stuck with Nehemiah in such a way that it began to change who he was and what he was going to become. Um, my spouse, Dina, Hachimama, the girl that melts my butter after 25 years of marriage. I, when I first met her, I, I'd met lots of women before, but there was just something like I perceived her. Now, as a single man, I perceived every woman uh, of, of a certain age. But there was something about perceiving her that just kind of stuck. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, you're a happily married man. You know what I'm talking about? Just, just kind of, you're a newlywed. You better know what I'm talking about. Just kind of stuck. There's just, it's not, it's not like she's different, but she's different. There's just something about Dina. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever, like, is there anything going on in your life right now that you didn't notice before, but you're kind of starting to see it, kind of starting to notice it? It could be, and I'm suggesting this could be the beginning of a promise that God wants to make you. Don't, don't take the, 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 the kind of perceived things, the perceptions, and say, well, it's just a, if it keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back, there's a good chance that the Holy Spirit's beginning to speak to you. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, the rhema promises. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Because if you're not living from the promises, what are you living from? If you're not standing on the promises, what are you standing on? When you wake up in the morning, you should have a list of promises that are your promises for your life for this day. You know what I'm saying? Because I wake up and go, oh, let me just find a scripture. Uh, Judas hung himself. Darn it. That's not the right one. Uh, let's find another one, you know. And Moses leaned on his staff and died. I have a staff. I know exactly how Moses felt. Yeah, I, it, it doesn't work that way. You've got to know what God's gotten you out of bed for that day. And those are the promises of God. People that wake up with promises in their heart wake up differently from those who just have bills to pay, lives to live, stuff to do. Your list should not just say to-dos. Your list should be the promises of God that I walk in today. And you know that God's made these promises. Sometimes a perceived promise proceeds to kind of the second place, which I just, again, the King Jim version, not doctrine, just observation. But it's when I'm prompted, that perceived thing kind of doesn't just linger. It starts to stick. This is a season that really lasts as long as it needs to. I, I'm, I would suggest that Moses was in the prompted stage for about 80 years. He knew that something to do with the Israelites, something to do with Egypt, something to do with this. Just, it was there all the time. He went down and he watched the slaves at work and it broke his heart. Now, how many of you guys like to watch things that break your heart day after day? Let's go down to the Humane Society just before they put the needle in the puppy's arm. But that's what he's doing. Why? Because he can't shake it. In the arms of the angels. For just $22 a month, you can help a dog. Come on, for 22 calibers, I can put the dog out of his misery and we can move on. And watch, that'll be the only thing that's tweeted today, right? And Pastor Jim, Inhumane Society, <coughs> right? Um, it's funny because it was 80 years for Moses, but it wasn't probably 80 minutes for David when he went from, I perceive that to, I'm prompted to do something about that big, ugly, knuckle-dragon, Neanderthal guy. So let me ask you this. Second question. We've talked about perceived. You kind of raised your hand, nodded your head. Is there anything that's kind of being, you're being prompted towards? If there is, let me tell you what I think you should do. I think you should write down the things you perceive, I think you should ask, is God prompting me? And, and this is how I know if God's prompting me. When I close my eyes to pray, I see it. When I'm driving through Ohio, I mean, you know what Ohio is. It's this flat, straight, boring road. Nothing like that at all. It's, it's very, uh, it's the roller coaster before the hill. Click, 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 click. And you're bored, or you're in the shower, or you're, you're just, nothing else is going on. And all of a sudden, that thing hits you, and you just automatically begin to think about it, 
pray about it, speak to it, address it. You're with somebody else, and you're saying, you know what? I have this idea, and they go, me too. That's so weird. It just God's starting to kind of bring these things. It's being promoted, an impression that matures into the resolve that you can or perhaps must do something about it. This is normally a season of prayer where God moves and molds the hearts through passion or pain. Hope is birthed during this season. Man, I hope I can do something about it. And from it, plans begin as God continues the necessary refinements of our hearts. Um, If you say, yeah, I kind of know what you're talking about, there's a good chance that you're being prompted. Like, it's time not just to perceive it. It's time to begin to engage it. I'm not saying sell the farm and go do it. But it is time to start praying about it. Maybe it's time to start talking about it. Not with everybody, but maybe somebody you trust. Maybe your spouse. Maybe the the people that aren't dream killers but are dream keepers. You know what I mean? And then it comes to the third thing. This is what I would call just the promise. God promises. God speaks a specific decree into your being. An impartation that alters the course and capabilities of your life to do, Ephesians 2.10 again, something that comes from the faith now imparted. And at this point, not to do it would be failure or disobedience. I know that I know that I know I'm supposed to go to church on the street. I know that I know that I know I'm supposed to work out the problems of my marriage. I know that I know that I know I'm supposed to quit this job and start this other one, this company. This, it's, it's this thing where the God's kind of prepared you. Now, how many guys have seen what I'm talking about? You, the perceived became the... <laughs> I wish this was the altar call, crawling forward. <laughs> what's perceived becomes what's prompted becomes what's promised. Have you been through that cycle? Do you observe it as well? I want to talk to you about this, guys, because this is this, this promise thing. This is important because Nehemiah goes from having a broken heart to standing before a king not caring if he lives or dies because of the promise that was made inside of him. This is where David goes down and runs towards a giant with a rock in his hand and a piece of leather strapped to check it at him. A shepherd boy against an armored giant. This is where I get on one knee and I ask my wife, will you marry me? Okay, this is where I threw the ring at her from across the room and said, hey, I got something for you today. Wasn't, wasn't very romantic, but I fixed it nine years later. <laughs> Took nine years. How many guys know it takes a while to raise a good husband? <laughs> because of that darn MTV. That's probably what it was, you know. Um, I knew when I first, I don't, I don't mean to make this about Dina and I, but it's just a good illustration. I knew that I was going to marry her the first time I met her. She walked in. We had a conversation. She was with her sister and her nieces. And when she walked out, I looked at a friend of mine who'd met her as well, who was better looking than I was in better shape. How many of you guys know people that are shaped like triangles? You know what I'm talking about? And, and the Tasmanian devil was standing next to me, and he says to me, you know, I think I'm going to ask her out. <laughs> and, I, and I turned to him. Kid you not, I turned to him and I said, if you do, I will break both your legs. And he said, why would you say that to me? I pick things up, but I put things down, you know? And I, I, said, I said, because that's the girl I'm going to marry. Right out of my mouth. Now, you don't, how many of you know that's, that's the worst Christian pickup line in the world? <laughs> Hi, my name's Jim, and God told me we're going to get, you know, ah! <laughs> you can't even finish the sentence before they're gone. So I didn't say it to her, but I said it to him, and I said, back off, Jack. And, uh, and he did, thank God, you know, so I didn't have to compete with him. But I didn't know what her last name was, but I knew what her last name was going to be. Because I perceived her, I mean, right there on the spot, prompted, and I just felt when she walked out, God made me a promise. I prayed for my wife for two years without meeting her. If you're single here today, please do me a favor. Start praying for your spouse now, because when you meet them, your spirit will recognize their spirit. 
It won't be the, oh, hips, lips, and fingertips. It won't be, oh, he's got money and security. No, it's just your spirit and his spirit. God just said, I, just like when Adam met Eve, he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. God didn't have to say anything because he just knew that that was for him. That was a gift that was brought to him. Amen. Some of God's gifts are just so much fun, right? So these are the moments we live from. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word, every promise, everything that God is saying. And, and I guess I'd ask you this, in this room right now, is there anybody you just feel like you're living a rhema promise from God? I feel like I'm living it. I think I know. Anybody? Okay, yeah, I know you are, sister. I knew that was coming. An exhausted hand, oh, dear God, how'd you get me into this, you know? It was fun to watch you guys go through this process, to be honest with you. And I, I won't bring it up but, and I, because I don't, I don't want to make you mad at me. But, I, but it was fun to watch. How many of you guys know some things that God asks us to do are not simple things? Like some things are impossible. The king just destroyed the city. Now go tell them you want to rebuild it. That's a hard thing to do. See that giant 500-pound beast in armor that's never lost a physical competition like, oh, combat, and you're a kid? Go, go beat him up. Like some of these things are not simple. And we have to know this. Now, let me ask you this. If, if you knew that you knew that you knew that God himself had spoken to you, you'd do whatever he said, wouldn't you? Okay. And, and this is where it gets kind of tricky because we've got to know that we know that we know that God has spoken to us. Just like David, just like Nehemiah, just, just like whatever the situation is biblically we could find, just like Moses. If you knew it was the voice of God that came out of that burning bush, man, whatever he told you to do. I'm not saying you're like, well, I like the debate that Moses had with God. You know, it's a burning bush, and it's talking to you, and you're being disrespectful. You know, I, I, what, what, if, what if, you know, they don't believe me? Well, I, I don't speak very well. I'm, you know, I'm not eloquent. What if, you know, and they finally goes, yeah, I just don't want to do that. To God. But that's how beat up the man was. You know what that was? He, he had perceived something in his youth. He had been prompted. But he moved without a promise. And the power of his own strength. And now God's calling him back to his promise. And I don't know why I just got off of this tangent. I'm talking to somebody. You walked away from your promise. And you think that when God wants you, it's like, that's done now. I, I don't even want to think about it. I don't think God makes promises that he withdraws from. And you may find often later on in life when it's impossible when, when, when there's no way that it can come about by natural means, God will resurrect things by supernatural means. So no man gets the credit for it because you can't do what he just told you to do, and now you're doing it. And so only God can be the one that gets the thumbs up for that, right? Promised, 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 promised. I, I would just want to suggest this to you and do it or don't, but I, I often give out homework assignments. I hated them as a student, but as a teacher, they are fun to give out. I, I like them. Um, I would say this to you, write down the things that you know that you know that you know God has promised you. And when you wake up in the morning, I'm not saying don't read the Word. Please read the Word. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm saying please pray. And don't just repeat your promises to God. But in your heart of hearts, how do we even know who we are unless we know what God has spoken to us? How do we know where we're supposed to go? And the world is just doing this, you know? And they just say, get on board. Go, go, go to work. Buy your car. Get your hairstyle. Untuck your shirt. No, tuck it in. No, get chunky. No, no, thin. The world's changing its mind about what beauty is, what success is. And just jump on board because we're just going in circles. We want to exhaust you doing meaningless things. But if you can jump out of that for a moment every morning and just see God has promised me this day that he will give me everything I need to be Dina Wiegand's husband, that he'll give me everything I need to be the Freedom Center's pastor, that he'll give me everything that I need to be Joshua and James David Wiegand Jr.'s father, that God has given me everything that, that he's promised me. These are not my ideas. These are God's promises. And as we walk in God's promises, whether they be vague like peace or, or specific like the calling on your life for this moment, 
you need to live from the promises of God. You still here? You're created. Again, you're created. You're created. You're created to live from his promises. And if you're not living from his promises, I would ask again, what are you living from? The American dream? Good luck with that. Changes every 10 minutes. Money? Good luck with that. I I one time had an experiment. I I brought somebody up on stage. I said, you're an honest person that doesn't mind being mortified. That's a hard guy to find. But John came up on the platform. I said, John, I'm going to write you a check. It won't cash, but I'm going to write you a check for any dollar amount you need to be content for the rest of your life. And he said, okay. And he gave me a number. like $3 million. I said, okay, 3 million pesos. And, and I, about $8. And I handed it to him. And I said, here's your check. I said, now are you content? He goes, I'm content. Just won the lottery. I'm content. I said, okay, but this is what just happened. Now that you've got this, this paycheck, you went out and bought a nice new motor home. You bought a nice boat. You bought a house. And you put your kids in a great school. And your kids came home from this great school. And they said, Daddy, why is it we only have a motor home and my friends have a jet? Why is it we have a yacht, but my, my, dad, my, my, my friend's dad owns like something that's twice the size of ours, and a helicopter lands on it? Why is it we've got the vacation home up north, but he's got a, a chalet in the French Riviera? And up in the Alps, like, are we poor? I said, let me ask you a question. You want to change that number? He says, I want to change that number. I said, okay. I, the first number is ridiculous. The second number is even more impossible. I, I just wanted to expose this to you, that, that you were content until you found someone who had more. And there's always going to be someone who has more. Contentment is not how much I have. It's how much I can live without and still be at peace. Amen? We're created to live from these promises. And I'm going to say this to you guys, that... that when God promised um, David the head of Goliath, David still had to fight Goliath. When God promised Israel deliverance from Egypt and identity in the promised land, they still had to walk out of Egypt and walk through a wilderness and fight a bunch of giants in the promised land. When God promised Medina, it wasn't without conditions. It was certainly, you know, laying down my life and washing her with the word and, you know, a couple other just light things you know, like being a priest in my home. My home was where I kind of went not to be a priest. Understand this. I, can I even say this in public? Is this being recorded? Yeah, <laughs> you lied to a pastor on Sunday. I love that. Yeah. No, say it all. Use names. When, you know, when I was a youth pastor, you know, you outreach and then a missions trip. And then and when I went home, man, it was like, you know, Smokey and the Bandit. Just, you know, anything besides church. Does this make any sense to you? I would get exhausted and I'd refill with the world's Twinkies rather than God's manna, you know. When you get married and now you go home and she's like, well, we've been giving and now I'm ready for you to be the priest of my home. And I'm like, yeah, let's watch Smokey and the Bandit. Let's watch NASCAR. Let's watch Band of Brothers for the 12th time this week, you know. And, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I'm responsible for the ministry of my wife's soul and body and spirit, and, and it's, yeah, I guess I'm saying this, if you are living from these promises, understand these promises often have great conditions to them, and every day we need to remind ourselves to live in these promises. Let me, let me just say this to you. Um, you guys doing okay? Yeah. Some are doing better than others. Bless your heart. <laughs> not only do people have promises, not only do marriages have, have promises, churches have promises. You, any church that attempts to be everything to everyone will be nothing to everyone eventually. Now, that's the one you should have tweeted, not the 22 calibers. You can put the dog out of his ministry joke. That's, that was actually tweetable. The churches are created to live from promises. We, we um, have 
defined ourselves and refined that vision continuously as you guys have. It's kind of a, almost like a, a, an adult when a church is planted. Like, what's our identity? What's important to us? What's our value? Because there are great things that we should all be concerned about, and yet we can't all be concerned about every great thing. Does this make sense? And so it's important that the leadership say, this is the vision of the church. And I know they have. This is what Church on the Street is. This is what we do. This is where we're going. And these are the promises that God has made to us concerning these things. There's an extraordinary grace on this room. I've got to tell you, I don't cry very easily, but I've cried twice in this room. I've buried best friends. I've buried my family members and not cried. And sit in the back of the room, and I just squatted down in a birthing position. <laughs> Because and I, just, I just began to weep. I checked my glasses. I, just, I don't even know what I'm crying about. God, why am I crying? I just, it's just so good to be here. It's just so good not to be Pastor Jim for 10 minutes. It's just so good to be in a room full of people that I don't have to father, and I don't have to mother, and I don't have to brother, and I don't have to boss. And I don't have, it's so good to be in a room of people that care about each other. I'm back there worshiping people. Like, hey, good to, hey, it's like, I love worship here. I, this room, you shouldn't worship with your eyes closed because if it's open, you can just kind of go... You know, kids are going back and forth and flags. How, has, has any children lost their eye yet at all? No, it's a miracle. I'm just like, wow. I, I expected it to kind of break out in the front. Zorro's up there loving Jesus, and it was beautiful, you know. But the seven churches that, that Jesus speaks to in the book of Revelation, there's, there's specific purposes. And with those purposes come specific promises. Do this. Don't do that. This is who you are. You're the church that does this. You're the church that does that. Um, and, and I would say this, that, that we all don't have to live under the promises of our church. We get to live under the promises of our church. I, I've seen it for years, and it, it's, it's never gotten easier. This is our 20th year at the Freedom Center. This is what happens. Man, we see your church. We love your church. We want to go to your church, and we want to change you and everything about this church. I just go, hey, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. <laughs> no, no, no. We've got this deeper, this greater, this wider, this higher. This It's like, that's wonderful. And if you can find a way to express that within the confines of the promises God's given us, because I can't live another man's promises. A church can't live another church's promises. We'd like to. It's funny, the churches that are successful. Can I, can I tell you guys something? Don't you ever look at this ministry and believe it isn't one of the most successful ministry these eyes have ever seen. Don't you ever look at your pastors and say they're not some of the most successful because I see them just living what they were born to do. I see you guys walking in the grace that God's given you. You're not trying to be something you're not. You're just walking what God's given you. There's no better expression than you being the you God made you to be, right? I walk into this room hard-hearted, diplomatic, trying to get my end. I just started this, and then I'm texting, and I, you say, sorry, worship, like when, when I, forgive me for embarrassing you. I love the way he leads worship. Not excluding anybody else, maybe you, John, but nobody else that involved in this. Sarcastic biting is our love language. I, I got, you know the one thing that I was most excited about coming today is I get to worship, and Isaac's going to lead worship. I love the way the kid leads. I'm sorry, the man, the burly, burly man leads worship. I always have. He picks up an instrument, and I just want to fall on my knees and weep. And I just, you guys aren't trying, you know, it isn't like, well, we need to hire some people to play instruments that aren't being played, and we need to have smoke and lights and pyrotechnics. And You don't. You're walking in the promises God has given you. Now walk in them. Enjoy them. Don't try to be more. Don't try to be less. Churches have these promises. And I would just say this to you. You know, if you're here today and you're, you're praying for your pastor and this is your prayer, God changed Pastor Pat and Teresa's heart so they see everything the way I see it. Can I, can I tell them, can I kick them out of your church? Get out of here. Don't, don't, 
Don't waste the energy that God's put in their heart because I will promise you I, from experience, it's, it's a depreciating asset. When the phone rings, your pastor that goes, I wonder who that is, or they say, I wonder who that is. Right? There's grace on this church. Walk in it, don't walk in it. It's up to you. Fight it, and you're fighting God. And again, I just would say that the greatest heartaches of my ministry of my life, the reason everybody that's in ministry wants to quit eventually, it's not because of the anointing that's on them. It's because the anointing that people demand of them that they don't have. How can we take people that are so blessed and so successful and make them feel like failures? It's because we read a book, and in the book, this church grew to 13 million people in 12 weeks by raising mink in their bathtub. And if we just raise mink in our bathtubs, God, stop. I, you guys, your river flows at a certain pace, and you're right in the middle of it. Follow the leaders God's put in your life. Find out what their vision is and make that come to pass. And I believe God will bless you with their blessings. Last thought is this. Most promises are conditional. If you, blah, 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 God says, then I will, blah, blah, blah. Most, not all of them. God promises to love us regardless. For God so loved the world. It's a promise that Hitler can take to the bank, Right? But most promises that have to deal with fruit are conditional. It doesn't say, no matter what you do, I promise to do this. It's almost always, if you do this, then I will do this. So these promises that are in you and around you that are part of your church, that are part of your family, part of your marriage, part of your own walk with God, remember that if our promises die, that we are to live from, well, what's left? And, And a phenomena that I'm seeing and I'm going to use wrong words, and I don't have time to teach. What time am I supposed to be done? Because my service started 45 minutes ago, and they kind of want me back there. 2 o'clock? Okay. <laughs> I love your church. I'm going to take a nap in the river, you know. Um, there's two things. We're treating God's promises sometimes carelessly, thinking there's an abundance of them that will always be there. And the other thing we have to be concerned with, that there's another error, I believe, is we treat them as if, if we didn't walk in them the moment they were offered to us, they're gone forever. I don't think either one of those are healthy. What is healthy is knowing this. God's on your side. Everywhere I go, I, you know, I'm on a plane. So what do you do for a living? I used to say things like, I'm a consultant because I said I was a pastor. Like, oh, and they wouldn't talk to me for the next two hours. And I'm, I get bored so easy. So what do you do for a living? It's like, for a living? I don't know I do for but my life is... So now I just, I'm done with that. I pastor a great church in Mayberry. You know, Goober goes to my church and Gomer goes to my church. I pastor Andy and Barney and, you know, it's wonderful. And, and they, I don't know why, but they always say this. Like within the next three minutes, they want me to know something about them. You know, I, I believe in God. I mean, it's almost universal. Like 97% of the people on the planet believe in God. Even atheists believe in God. They just don't, you know, do you believe in absolutes? You know, absolutely. But God's not absolute. No, there's no, you know, there's no absolutes whatsoever. Do you believe that? Absolutely believe that there's no absolute truth. <laughs> you know? But what I find really rare is not people that believe in God, but people that believe that God believes in them. People that say, like, like oh, the Bible's so hard. Do you know that God demands the honor of discipling his sons and daughters. I'm not saying teachers and pastors aren't important in the body, but did you know that when you pick up the Bible and you say, Holy Spirit, I want to know everything that the man who penned these words for the very first time knew. And I want a context to express it in my life. It isn't like I've got to memorize this verse before Thursday. That's homework. 
This is intimate conversation with the creator of the universe who demands the privilege of discipling his sons and daughters. Man, when you pray, so you don't know how to pray, oh, Lord bless Timmy and Lord bless Billy and Lord bless the food and Lord, like what does the word bless even mean in that context? Like, don't curse? Is that what it means? But if you know your promises, man, listen, the incense that rise in the presence of God are not vague prayers. They're passionate, conviction-oriented, spirit-filled, spirit-led. I know that I know that I know that God has put on my heart a piece of his broken heart. And when I intercede, when Nehemiah is praying, he's not saying, so bless Jerusalem. He's saying, God, give me the nerve to stand before a king who can snap his fingers and take my life. But what you put in my heart, I'd rather... I'd rather die than to live with the broken heart I now have. That's a promise. I'd rather die than to live with the broken heart I now have. I'd rather die than hear that giant talk about the armies of the living God that way. I'd rather die than to see Dina Tharp not become Dina Wiegand. When you, when you walk in the passion and the pain of your promise, you'll find every day a purpose that was missing before that, the promises of God. If our promises die, what do we live from? I would challenge you to write it down. Every year, restate your vision. Every, every you know, so often you're driving down through Ohio and you got all kinds of time to think about it, talk about it, relax about it. You're in the shower, talk to Jesus about it. But stay passionate in the promises that God has made you as a person, as a family, as a home, as a ministry, as a church. And um, to remember that what's been promised and, and just to live from them. Speak those out. Pray those out. People should people around you, and not every person, but your closest friends should know what God's promised you. Matter of fact, can I say this? I've experienced people that are so passionate about their promises, people who don't know their promises begin to pray over other people's promises because they feel more alive when they're living in someone else's shoes than in their own. Right? I've got a dream. I've got a vision. And a million people around the Capitol said, we do too. Don't know what it is, but we're just, it's a good dream. Martin Luther just keeps speaking, right? Most promises are conditional. I just want to say this kind of in closing. How many guys know what it means when I say in closing? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, but I'm going to try. But this is, this is the third week of teaching. We've gone through week one, week two. Here's the final statement. If you will live, anybody playing piano today? Start playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. An altar call with Isaac Blitzschock. Bum, bum, bum. Prepare to snot your eyes out. Here it comes. You ready? Let the anointment roll, brother. This is where it gets really cool because if, often if like what we're dealing with promises is all for me, for me, for me, it's empty. If you will live, now right here, look right here. If you know the promises of God for you, for for your family, for your church, and you live those promises, this is what happens. You become the fulfillment of what God has promised to others. You become the fulfillment of what God has promised to others. Now get this. Moses, yes, burning bush voice. Go. Big argument. Okay, 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 I'll go. He goes, when Moses lived his promises, God was able to keep his promises to the nation of Israel. Nehemiah, here's a piece of my broken heart. And for days he weeps and he fasts and he tears his clothes and he falls down and he just can't pull it together. He just, he, I don't know if he's married, I don't know if he's single, but he just, everybody around him like, what's wrong with you? I just, I heard some terrible news. What is it? Well, is you know, Jerusalem is, well, yeah, I knew that too. I read it in the paper, I read it in the scroll. And Nehemiah's like, I just can't stand it. I just can't stand it. I just can't stand it. <clears throat> when Nehemiah was obedient to what God put on his heart, God kept his promise to the nation of Israel through Nehemiah. I don't mean to embarrass you. I'm going to probably anyway. When you walked in the promises to be a father to the fatherless, 
God was able to keep his promise to the fatherless. When this church walks in the promises that God gives this church, God makes you the manifestation of his promise to other people. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Be a church that's known for a heart, worship, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is. When you walk in those promises individually, as a family, as a church, God gets to keep his word. Because I promise you right now there are mothers praying and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers praying. God, somewhere in Linden, somewhere in Fenton, somewhere in Holly, God, please send someone to blah, 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 who doesn't know you, who's broken or who's sick or who's an orphan or who, who's just so generationally cursed that they're, they're like the man with the legion of demons. Just, God, please do something. And as you live what God's promised you, God's going to answer those prayers that he promised them through you. And guys, can I just say this to you? That's what life's supposed to be. I understand we got nine to five lives. We've got to climb trees and dig through snow. I, I understand we've got businesses to run and marriages. And I, I get all that. But in the end, you know that none of that really even matters? I'm, I'm not saying marriages don't matter. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that there are, when you're on your deathbed and some pastor holds your hand and listens to your last conversation, you're going to say, I wish I'd have had more overtime so I could have gotten a bigger pontoon boat. I, I wish I would have really pushed harder and spent more time away from the promises of God so I could just, you know what I mean? Like, like who do you think is going to have a better inheritance in eternity? The one who put all the value here or the one who put all the value there? Live like you're dying because you are. You have never been closer to death than the moment we're, we're passing through right now. I don't know if it's the end time. Seems like it is, but for you it is. There's a cheery thought, but it's a true thought. And so I'm telling you guys, I understand there's burdens, and I understand there's distractions, and I understand there's bills, and I understand there's calendars, I understand there's demands, I understand there's Ukrainian courts and, and pneumonia, and I understand all that. But in the end, guys, the only thing that really matters is did we take what he entrusted to us, his promises? Did we live by every word, every rhema that came from the mouth of God? In the end, that's the only thing that really counts. Whether you got a big pontoon boat or a small pontoon boat, I've learned in life the greatest boat is somebody else's anyway. Whether you get the dog you want or the dog you didn't want, the greatest dog is somebody else's dog. You know why grandkids are so much more fun than kids? Because they belong to somebody else. The things we think we want, and then we get them and, you know, you just bow your heads? Would you just close your eyes? I just want to pray over you, and then we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Those who live their promises become the manifestation of what God has promised others. Those who live from their promises will become the manifestation of what God has promised others. Let me say it again. Those who live from the promises of God will become his answer to someone else's prayer. God, I pray that in this holy moment, remind us of our promises. Remind us, whether it be orphans, whether it be business, whether it be ministry, whether it be international, across the oceans or across the street, whether it be directly to our spouse, before it goes anywhere else, God. If it's just, if it's just the person sitting next to us, if it's just being an excellent father, an awesome mother, 
May we live and may we teach the generations to come to live from the promises of God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'd simply ask you this today. If you're here, and I, I not in my notes, didn't plan on saying it, but it just, it just came back to me again, so I'm going to throw this out there. You felt like the promises God made you were for a season, and that season had passed. Then let me ask you this. If you really believe that the season has passed, then why are you crying? That isn't mourning what's lost. That's the Holy Spirit touching your heart for what he's going to do, not what you weren't allowed to do or you're not allowed to do. He's moving you back in the direction. And when hope begins to emerge, pain says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't hope. Remember how hard it was last time. In the name of Jesus, we command pain to be silence. And we, we command hope now to rise. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful and he will complete it. That his promises are yes and they are amen in Christ Jesus. We pray hope as if we were taking an ember long since far from flame but still smoldering, God. We just fan that now. We We just breathe into that now, God. And as it gains intensity, let it ignite all that stuff around it. I pray you'd restore supernaturally what we thought was never going to be ours. I pray you to restore it now in Jesus' name. God, I pray, we ask you, Father, Holy Spirit, we just we pray now that you would speak those words. Whisper them in our ears like you whispered in our ears the very first time. Those words, God. When we close our eyes, what do we see? When we dream, when we allow ourselves the privilege of imagining a tomorrow that's different from our today, what do we see? Restore those dreams. Restore those dreams. Restore those dreams, those visions, those insights, those callings, those anointings. Restore them, God. I pray over everybody here that walks in a promise, and I just water that promise now with hope. I water that promise with your promises. Man cannot live. He will not live. He shall not live by the substance of this earth. The only thing that gives satisfaction and life is that which is breathed on us from heaven. Just like manna started somewhere and became physical stuff. Visions start somewhere and they become physical stuff. You, my friends, are the substance in which that which is only heavenly becomes earthly. You are the ones. You are the singer of songs and you're the dreamer of dreams. Can you envision a tomorrow that's different from today? Has God prompted you? Have you perceived something? Has God promised you something? Listen, if God promised you it, it's, you just walk towards it. But it seems so hard. I know, walk towards it. But what if I, no, no, walk towards it. And keep walking in that direction until it's fulfilled. The salvation of a loved one, a ministry that God's put in your heart, a business. That, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to refine this. You need to go to India and preach the gospel. That's, that's not what I'm saying. This can be as simple as being the spouse of your spouse's dreams. This could be as simple as, as starting that new business. It, it, it doesn't have to be lofty. It just needs to be obedient. What has God put on your heart? What has he prompted you? You started talking about it a long time ago, thinking about it, praying about it. You try to shake it, but it won't shake you. It's very possible God is going to or has given you a promise or even today restored an old promise. Oh, man, wouldn't that be cool if God resurrected old promises? What would would it be like if God resurrected old promises that we thought were dead? Peter... James, John, they they all thought Jesus was dead. 
He wasn't dead. There was a season where he appeared to be. I mean, he was dead, but there was a season. And nothing dead ever comes back to life in this world, right? But when all hope had faded, and they just went back to their normal lives, and the greatest crisis of their faith they would ever experience, God, then God, then God spoke. And the Son of God rose from the dead. And no man could take credit for it. No man could say, I did that. It was so supernatural that everyone said, that is God. I just speak that over every heart right now. That as our dreams are resurrected, that is God. Let your light so shine before men that they would say, that is God. Today, if you're like, I want in on this. I want to live in these promises that God has made to this church, that God has made to Pastor Pat and Teresa, that God has made to, uh, to you as an individual, as a family. I want us to, as a group, just if we would, and I don't, I don't know the culture of the church well enough to know if I'm doing something really strange or really normal, but I'm going to ask for everybody just to simply stand quietly in the presence of the Lord. This is an altar area. I don't know if there's altar workers or not, even if there is, I feel like some of the altar workers are the ones that need this more than anybody else. So let's just, let's just make the Holy Spirit the altar worker in this room right now. If you have a promise that there, or a, a, something you've perceived, something that's been prompted or something that's been promised, and you just want to take a moment or two or an hour or two before the Lord and just let that kind of, just let the water of the Holy Spirit soak into the soil around that seat, I'm going to invite you to come forward and stand in these altars right now. I love the privilege of just praying over you and just asking God to just fill you with the Spirit again, dreams and visions. If that's you, just feel free to step out right now and come stand on this altar.